So this is Alison Smith, wonderful, wonderful lady who's going to introduce herself. But let's just reach out our hands and pray for her. Father, we thank you so much for Alison being here with us this morning. We thank you for you in her life. And Lord, we pray for more of you in her life and you to be with her as she shares with us now. And we pray your rich blessing upon her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, Jenny. Now, what I have to do is to write down the time I've got to finish. Otherwise, who knows what will happen? (laughs) Thank you. Um, I'm really happy to be here. That sounded surprised, didn't it? (laughs) I'm really happy to be here. Nigel and I have a history. And I've always loved this church, and I haven't been for quite a while. And uh, I know lots of you, but lots of new faces as well. So it's really special to be back here. Thank you, Nigel, for inviting me. Um, I have to say that not having Ella and Beryl here is a real sadness to me because when I come to this church, normally I'm looking out for Ella and Beryl, and they're in a better place than even this church. But uh, I just want to to thank God for their lives because um, they prayed for what I do, which I'll talk a bit about later on. Uh, a lot and they used to hassle me about taking time off and things like that and I'm so grateful to um, saints of the faith like Ella and Beryl who've gone before us to heaven and I want to just thank God for people like that and uh, for all Nigel and this church has done for them so God bless them. Um, Our title as you already know is Exile Infused with Hope. Is it going to come up, do you think, on the thing? On the, yeah, we're not quite sure whether it would or not. I'll tell you what, um, why this is a really exciting passage for me. I kept reading the chapter again and again and again. And uh, no, that's not the right one. <laughs> uh, because it talks about the reality of life, life what it is now, many struggles in the world. We've already been praying about that, and I thought it was so brilliant that Jenny got us to do that, to pray about hopeless situations, situations which uh, the world is in at the moment. When you look, at, I can't look at the news any longer. I don't know about you, but I find it so painful to look at. It's like all I can do is to pray into it, but really, um, do I have the hope it'll change, if I'm honest? So what do we do with this current situation in the world and the situation in many of our lives that cause us a lot of stress time in and time out? So I want to look at that and just... Uh, take what this passage has shown us. I think it's fantastic you're doing, Micah. When Nigel and Sam first said, that's what you're doing, I thought, gosh, I don't know about that book. And as more I read it in preparation, I thought, this is great. This is really good. So we're talking about a time when Micah really opens his heart. Um, he says that uh, everything is terrible. His people have let him down. His people have broken down. The people they were meant to be, these people of God, have blown it. They aren't representing what they're meant to represent at all. They were supposed to be faithful people. They were supposed to be honest people. They were supposed to be people you could trust, but none of that was the case. I'm going to read. Jenny's already read um, the scripture in the beginning. I'm going to read you it in the message. Actually, this is also Nigel's um, history with me. When I went to start working in the prison, which I'm now doing, I'm a chaplain in high security prison in southeast London. Um, and uh, this 
Bible he gave to me when I started the work there because it's the message and NIV together. Isn't that lovely? I got a gift. Do you remember that? Yeah. Because it's so good to have for, for people who've come off the streets and maybe not that literate, have something that's easier to understand so I can use the NIV and the easy, easier message translation. So thank you very much. So I'm going to read from this anointed book, the message. And this is how the first part of it goes. I'm going to read the bit that's, that's relevant to what I'm saying. It says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow, sunk in a swamp of despair. I'm like someone who goes to the garden to pick cabbages and carrots and corn and returns empty-handed, finds nothing for soup or sandwich or salad. There's not a decent person in sight. That's harsh. There's not a decent person in sight. Right-living humans are extinct. They're all out for one another's blood. Animals preying on each other. They've all become experts in evil. Corrupt leaders demand bribes. You've seen that in the world. Exactly that. The powerful rich make sure they get what they want. The best and the brightest thistles. The top of the line of crabgrass. But no longer. It's exam time. Look at them slinking away in disgrace. Don't trust your neighbor. Don't confide in your friend. Watch your words, even with your spouse. Neighborhoods and families are falling in pieces. The closer they are, sons and daughters-in-law, the worse they can be. Your own family is the enemy. But me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. That's the beginning of the next section, but we're looking on the bad section to start with. Um, could I have the first slide, please? Thanks, Jimmy. Sometimes people who don't really understand Christianity think it's all about either you're a bad person or you're a good person. That's it. Before I was saved, I had a very um, strange relationship with God. I had to go to church every single Sunday and uh, do what you're supposed to do in church. Then I'd go home and think, this is awful. And I gradually felt deeper and deeper into depression, which is not supposed to happen when you go to church. And I landed up in psychiatric hospital in a total state. And when I was in there, I, what I did was I told God to get out of my life. And I realized the God I told to get out of my life was the one that I understood as the one who told me I must be perfect, I must be good, I must do everything right. I must, that's what I understood. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't be that person. I couldn't be that person who lived up to something which I could never live up to. That was the beginning of my salvation when I kicked that God out of my life because it wasn't the real God. And actually what happens uh, in our lives generally is what is the real God? Is it really a God who judges us or is it a God who's really nice and kind to us all the time? Do we like judgment? We don't. The prophet Micah's talking about how he judges his people, about how they are. I was um, visiting family last week, and um, uh, my two brothers have um, spent time making their homes really nice. And I've tried to spend time making my home nice. And they were talking about um, how wonderful their home is, and, you know, got this amazing view onto the fields, one of them, and the other one's got this lovely 
um, orchard and he's, he's put some new trees in and they're all ornamental. And I should have been going, oh, this is great. I'm so happy for you. Do you know what was happening to me? I was getting more and more jealous. I was thinking, well, I haven't done that to my house. I spend a bit of time on it, but I haven't got time to do it. I haven't got the energy to do it with what else I'm doing. I haven't got this beautiful outlook that I want. I can't see the sheep from my fields. I love sheep. I can't see them from my fields. I'm living in southeast London. And gradually, Woolwich, lots of wool. And gradually my heart got harder and harder. Instead of being able to rejoice with them, I got really jealous. And I was thinking, these guys don't go to church every week. And here I am sitting with this jealous feeling in my heart. And I thought, I felt condemned, but I couldn't do anything about it. But I felt, is this condemnation from me or is this from God? So I said, maybe it's not just from me. Maybe this isn't right. So I said, God, what about this? And he said to me, just be thankful. In other words, you are bad. (laughs) Start thanking. I don't like it when God says that, but I thought I better try it because I was going down deeper and deeper. And I started saying, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I'm actually now here. I was in the country with them, and there's actually some sheep in this field. And uh, actually, I have got a view over the river from my house, and actually I'm going to have a bit of time next month to put a few things in. And I started being thankful, and everything changed. Now, we all know that, but how often do we not listen to God's... I believe God was judging me. He was saying, don't do that, but I'm giving you a way out. He doesn't judge us and just say, you're a bad girl, which is what I always used to think. He judges us and says, there's another route. You can go this route. This will lift you up. This will not take you down. I have another confession. Um, I don't like Facebook. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I actually love seeing what Nigel's been doing and things like that. But if I'm not feeling in a very good place and I look at Facebook and I see everybody having had an amazing time, I have a problem. You didn't know I had so much evil in me, did you? (laughs) I have a problem. Because actually, again, I start thinking, well, I'm not having a good day today. And they're all having an amazing time. So God will say to me, don't look at Facebook that day. Look at it another day when you really want to rejoice together with everybody. Or go and talk to somebody who will tell you about the reality of their life. I'm not saying Facebook's not good. But I'm just saying, Facebook's great. But I'm just saying we have to get this into proportion and listen to what God's saying to us to help us to get to that place of hope. If I asked you in this room how many of you ever ex- have ever experienced a time when you had no hope at all, I bet you most of you would say yes. Maybe some of you even in that place now. But God wants us to be in reality. So the liberty of judgment is what we need. We want to understand God's judgment. Not one godly man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Actually, working in the prison, that is a bit true, I have to say. Because um, last week we were having a chapel service. and um, No, we weren't having a class. That Actually, Stevie's not here. Stevie comes along to the class. And we were about to have the class, and then suddenly there was three fights in the corridor as the guys were coming up. And, of course, our class, instead of having 30 guys like it normally had, about 15 because of the fights in the corridor coming to class. And then they weren't allowed to come, and it upset the whole regime. So I talked to them afterwards, and I said, why are you having these fights? What's it about? And um, um, they said, well, you know, it's... It's, uh, it's, you know, it's postcode stuff outside, and I see them in here, and I've, I've got to have a go at them. Okay, fine. But the only thing is that they haven't got knives in prison, or they're not given knives in prison. So there would have been bloodshed if that had been outside. So I always love this sort of scripture, because it makes me think, actually, um, 
all men lie in wait to shed blood. I have to tell you, in some of the situations outside, people are literally lying in bread in, in wait to shed blood. But in our own lives, like I was talking about the jealousy that I was battling with, actually, I was really lying in wait to shed blood. I didn't want my brothers to have a great time in the house. I've repented now, so I do. But you can take it on all levels, these scriptures. They're so wonderful. Um, but truth sets you free. What is a pure heart? We want to have pure hearts. That's why you come to church. I don't believe you come to church just to see your friends, just to have a book for one pound. I think I might take some and buy them and take them into the prison. Uh, or have a nice cup of coffee or whatever. I think you come because you want to have a pure heart. So telling you the example I was telling you about just now, with my brothers, my heart was not pure, and I felt this is horrible. And then I realized, actually, it's a bit more exciting than that because we're so consumed with the bad feelings in our hearts. We're so consumed with what we're doing wrong. God wants to judge, that's true. But what is a pure heart? When I realize what I've done wrong, I go to God and I say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to follow what you tell me to follow. I want to surrender and do your will. Maybe hard, but that's what I want to do. As soon as I say that, I believe my heart is pured, purified. I may not have changed, but I said, God, I want to go your way. It's difficult, but I want to surrender your way. Show me how to do it. Like the example of my brother. I said, thank you, and everything changed. It's a pure heart. You come to God and you say, Lord, it's not right. I don't like what's in my heart. We, we carry anger. We carry spite. We carry impatience. We carry jealousy from time to time. We carry envy. We carry fear. It doesn't all go just like that. We say, God, I want to follow your way. I want you to purify my heart. And as soon as we say, I want to walk with you, then everything begins to change. Can I have the next slide, please? Liberty of judgment we've talked about. Now we're moving on to the good one. The light of hope. This is the version. No, it's not even the version you read. This is the NIV version. Though I have fallen, we've all fallen. Some of you may feel you're falling now. Yet I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I will see his justice. Those songs were fantastic today. Thank you so much worship leaders because they were every word of them was to do with what we're looking at today though i've fallen yet i will rise now i'm going to borrow one of your folk in the congregation who i actually knew before you <laughs> so ricky can you come <laughs> um ricky's um um is wearing um rather colorful outfit today um have <laughs> did you dress specially <laughs> So, Ricky, it looks as if you've been doing something special today. What have you been doing? Some painting and decorating work. Okay. And where do you do the painting and decorating? I mean, don't mean literally where. Is it, are you employed by somebody or how do you do it? No, I own my own business now. Own your own business? Yeah, literally. Wow. Have you always done good life like that? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Do you want to tell us a bit about the part that wasn't so good? Well, growing up on an estate, um, come from a, a broken home. Um, always been involved in crime, committed every crime that you could think of, from stabbings to robbing, um, drug dealing, selling guns, then ended up in Belmarsh, met um, Alison, and then through Alison, literally... Hold on, hold on. What happened 
when you when you landed up in Belmarsh? A lot of things, <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, every Sunday, um, God will come to my door, open up my door, and say church on a Sunday for about seven weeks. Didn't end up going, and then got bored one day. I just thought, let me just let me just go and try at church. Tried at church now, and um, never looked back. God touched my life from then. It was very powerful. The church was. And um, met wonderful lady like you, gave me a Bible, opened up the Bible, started reading it, and that was it. Just reflected upon my life, and it opened up my heart, opened up my mind, opened up my soul. And yeah, from then it it, 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 it changed everything. So yeah, and um, it restored me, I should say. It restored my soul, it restored my mind, and um, it gave me back my conscience. So um, when I was on the road... I was able to stab, I was able to commit all these crimes and felt no way for anyone and no one but anyone, literally, not even myself, I felt no way. And um, so when I did try, when I did come out of prison, so when I did leave prison, and um, I, of course, sometimes I did commit sins and stuff, but I had a conscience and I felt remorseful, I felt regret, and I thought, wow, how can I, I couldn't continue to do what I was doing anymore. So um, I couldn't lead that life, and I thought, wow. Gradually, bit by bit, the layers start to shred, and God will only will now that I look back, that's how you see, and when you're comparing that, then you can see the difference. You can see, wow, your life's changing gradually, and you can see God working. So, yeah. So where does the conscience come from? How do you get a, what's a conscience? Who's given you the conscience? Um, we all have conscience, I believe. And um, when you start doing evil, you, when you start committing sin, your conscience starts to fade. You become numb to the world. You become numb to yourself. And you're able to commit all these great um, relentless sins as what's going on today with the stabbings and stuff. And um, only God can restore that, I believe. It's beyond human capabilities. So, yeah, um, only God can restore your conscience and make you reborn again within spirit and physical. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ricky. And is life hunky-dory now? No, it isn't. <laughs> There's always ups and downs. Like, like I said, I come from a broken home. I'm the only Christian in my house, so it's not easy. It's a never-ending fight and battle. And um, you just got to keep strong, keep faith keep coming to church and um, keep reading your Bible and us. Um, keep, uh, the main thing is keeping connection with God because without the connection with God, it's, it's meaningless. Like, there's no point reading up the Bible and the, like, the Bible's not speaking to you or you're not reflecting or you're not, yeah, it's, it's a road, it's a journey at the end of the day. People are going to come off and come on but you just got to keep faith with God. Can I read a poem quickly if that's okay when I was in Belmarsh? So this was a poem when I was in there, literally, and um, I just want to read it with you. It was um, Overbecome, it's called, and it goes like this. Tortured by the dark, heading for the light, all the pain in my heart, wishing to escape the fight. Suffocated by demons, oh Lord, give me strength. I feel them taking over, my life coming to an end. Surrounded by wickedness, and I still do my best. No matter where I go, I will never be at rest. Swimming in nightmares, now dancing in dreams. I still can't believe that the light shines in me. Wow. <laughs> is that real or is that not real? <laughs> Ricky, thank you so much.
Look after this man. He's very precious. Thank you, Ricky. He came from his work specially to share that. So we wanted um, reality. And he also told me that when his name was on the list for chaplaincy, he'd never asked to come. So we don't know how his name got on the list to come to chapel because you have to ask to come. And sit. Yeah, so basically, basically, my surname's Ali and I was expecting my name to be on the Muslim list. So when you, did, um, when you go into Belmarsh and you enter in Belmarsh, um, they ask you, are you religious? And I said to them, no, I'm not religious. Um, Leo is the only one who ever spoke to me about God and stuff like this before I went to prison. And so I arrived at prison and I said, no, I'm not religious. And... Um, couple uh, about literally a week later on a sunday they opened my door and said ali look church i was like wait god i didn't sign up for this take my name off the list like you're, you're disturbing my sleep <laughs> anyway um every single sunday now they would open up my door going ali church and i'd think to myself who's putting my name on this list anyway i got bored of association now i kept on showering it i've done everything i just thought let me give this church thing a try started at the back now and um it was very powerful, the church was, and um, the man preaching and that. And um, one Sunday, I think it was the second Sunday in, I don't remember his name, I think it was Pastor Isaac from Brixton. He come in there, and he, I remember the whole church went quiet. And I'm talking about the youth in there, like everyone's fighting, and that chairs are getting picked up, getting smashed around, and that. Like, it's not like this. The congregation is, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a riot going on. And literally, I went. I remember observing, I was sitting literally at the back now, and I was looking around, and the whole church went quiet when this man was preaching. Like, you could literally drop a pin, and you could hear it. And I thought, this man's moving, like, he's doing works. And I thought, from the seeing that, I just believed so much. My faith went up, like, from 10 to 100 instantly. Because I could see him, and everyone there was like, wow. So I remember going back to my cell, and I felt free. That was the only expression. I felt free. I felt alive. I felt restored. And I felt raw. This is the truth. There must be truth in this. So, yeah. So, the liberty of judgment. And then his conscience came because God was there. God brings the conscience and the light of hope. Thank you very much. Um, That might seem not so connected with your life, but it is very connected with all our lives. It's exactly the same situation, just in a maybe slightly different one. And the, the judgment that comes to show Ricky that the way he was living is not right was the conscience. And uh, the light of hope has come. As he says, things are not easy, but um, he started his own business. <laughs> so it's fantastic. There's another guy who um, was in prison and... Um, he, he was in prison, and um, he used to come into chapel every single week um, when I taught in the middle of the week, and he would every single week, as soon as he'd come, he'd go to the side of the chapel, and he'd just start praying, 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 praying. And I, I, he, he wouldn't talk until he prayed and prayed and prayed, and then I said, what's all this about? He said, well, uh, I just believe God's going to change my situation, and he got a life sentence. So I thought, well, you know so much for your persistent prayer maybe you were just hoping and he went to another prison and started his time there um, during his time with us he'd read the bible through the whole bible he told me later through twice or three times he'd written a play i didn't know any of this christian play 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 and he went to this other prison and then a bit later i heard he'd been released his whole case had been i don't know what happened unless it was a total miracle but he's out now and he's doing really well he's he's got a job um, and he's, he should never have been able to get a job for the crime that he'd done. 
And he said, I just knew God would do it. So that's what we need to do, is to persist. When you're feeling in that place of, of hopelessness, when you're feeling in that place of darkness, we persist. The, um, the persistent widow, I just love that story, where um, they carry on and on believing that God is going to... Thank you. In Luke chapter 18, where it says, um, in verse 7, it says, For some time the... the um, the, um, the judge refused to help, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she get justice so that she won't wear me out. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? No. He won't. Thanks, Jenny. So we keep crying out. We keep crying out to the Lord for situation in the world, for our own situations where we feel they're completely hopeless. Jenny asked you to pray already about situations that feel hopeless. So don't give up on that. Keep holding on to it. Um, one of our one of our prisoners came to chapel service, and at the end of it. He came up to me and he said, I need to see you on the wing afterwards. I went to see him. And um, he said to me, um, I've got to confess a whole load more crimes. Oh, what? You know, you're in prison for some crimes. Why are you going to confess some more? And he said, well, they were shoplifting. They weren't major, major things. But he said, um, I can't live, go out when I finish my sentence with a clear, with freedom, because I haven't confessed all of these. So he told one of the officers he was going to do that, and the officer said to him, why are you doing that? You haven't been caught for them. Um, he said, well, I just have to be free. And the only way I can be free is by hearing what God's telling me to do. And he, he asked, we got the police in, and he confessed these crimes, knowing he'd have a longer sentence. Guess what happened? He didn't get any extension to his sentence at all. Which was an amazing, amazing testimony to other people. But he felt free. So we talk to God, not about what we feel guilty just of, but what God tells us is wrong in our lives. And he will bring, he will bring justice. Verse 9, it says, he will see justice. And finally, and then we will we'll have some time praying, um, the power of restoration. The power of restoration is what Ricky was talking about. It's what comes as a result of us having known what God has told us about our own lives and getting hold of the hope that he gives us. The songs that we were singing, um, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. That's what we're building our life upon, the firm foundation of God's love. The other song, All Through the Storm, you are my anchor. You give me hope. Our hope is restored as we build our life on God. He's pledged us his oath. He said he will not leave us. He will not desert us. His compassion is so powerful. People sometimes say to me, how can you work with these people who've uh, done bad things? And I know some of the bad things they've done. How can I work with them? How can anybody work with them? The only way is because you have the compassion of God and you know that there's a Ricky who used to stab people up and sell them knives and drugs, but actually inside is this wonderful person. God's compassion brings that out. 
When you see yourself as that bad person who's doing things wrong, things will never change for you, God comes and he says, my compassion is for you. I lift you out of that place. I lift you and I stand you on the rock. I stand you on that place where you are full of goodness. My goodness, not your goodness. If we take hold of a God who has promises, God who we can rely on, he can build our lives again. He can build through that situation again. There's a, in this passage, it also says that God will be our shepherd again. He will come and he will shepherd us, shepherd us afresh. He will shepherd the people in the prison afresh. What um, happens is sometimes we get so disillusioned with things, we think, God, I'll do it without you. I will just carry on, and I don't actually trust your shepherding for me. Actually, it hasn't, hasn't worked. I can tell you situations in my own life which I thought, God, you're never going to sort this one out for me. And I decide to go away and try and sort it out myself. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for the prisoners. They will try and get a new, better judge. It doesn't work. They have to hear God's word in their lives. Then things turn around. So we need to go back and say, God, you are my shepherd. You're the one who I really need to take hold of. You're the one I need. I was going to show you a video, but I'm not going to because I think we need to pray. But it says... Um, Um, In verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pastures. Shepherd your people with your staff. It is God who pardons and forgives transgression. I think it's the most amazing thing to know that we can be sinners to the very end of our life and God will still come and pour that compassion out on us. He will still be the one who opens his heart and says, come and live with me. He's never expecting us to be that perfect product until the end. And if we try and pretend what we're not, all that happens is we go deeper. We get more and more in, um, tangled up. When I was, um, when I was um, praying for um, the prison recently, I felt the Lord tell me to go and talk to one of the guys who's coming to chapel very regularly. He's in for crime which has given him a life sentence which is all over the media and you would know it if I mentioned it and I felt what I needed to do is go to him and say do you really want to talk about what happened he did a terrible thing to somebody and uh, he's talked about it a bit but he keeps getting quite depressed even though he says he's happier in prison than he ever was before because he's he can be away from all the struggles of street life but I'm going to go and ask him do you really want to talk about what you did do you really want to talk about how I wish I could tell you what the case was, because it be much more powerful. Um, but it was against a child. And uh, do you really want to talk about what actually happened? What happened in your mind that made you do that? You're not an evil person. As we do that, the Lord can come and he can show us forgiveness of our transgressions, set us free from the power of them. Let's pray. Father, many of us have felt times in exile, We might even try and pretend it to other Christians. We might even come to church pretending we're happy. We might not come to church because we feel we're not able to put that front up any longer. But we thank you, Lord, that as we look to you, you are the light. You are the God of hope. As you speak to us, Lord, you bring liberty. Judgment brings liberty. Thank you, Lord, that... uh, There's a light of hope in you. 
thank you, Lord, you want to do as you did for Ricky and are doing for Ricky and many other people we've talked about, that you want to bring restoration. Father, we want to thank you that uh, you don't leave us in that place of exile. You put out your hand and you say, come, take hold of it, and I will draw you out of the quagmire. I will lift you out of the quagmire. I'll draw you out of that and sit you on my lap and speak to you in ways that are stronger than anything you've ever known. Lord, help me to hear your voice. Help me to hear that whisper of love. Help me to see you lift me up like you do an injured sheep and put me on your shoulders and carry me. I'd um, I'd like us to really get hold of what I think God is saying through some of this and if if you are feeling as if you just need God to lift you up and put you on his shoulders you can't battle what you're battling on your own any longer Um, I'm not asking you to say what it is but I just want you to stand up and we're going to pray especially for that if you feel you can't battle whatever it is you're battling maybe just a thought it might be something about the present or the future might be an attitude you just can't battle it any longer you're tired of battling it and you feel you just want the lord to pick you up and put you on his shoulders just stand up now and i'm going to pray specifically for those people that you will feel the lord lift you up and put you on his shoulders just stand where you are and the lord will lift you up and he'll put you on his shoulders and he will walk with you i'll just wait for you to stand up if you need to it's a wonderful thing the lord does when he takes hold of us and he lifts us up You need to stand up because he's going to get hold of you and he's going to lift you and put you on his shoulders. He's a wonderful shepherd. And he knows all the stresses and strains and battles. Thank you, Lord, that you're a God who's got strong shoulders. You are the shepherd. And you're used to dealing with injured lambs and sheep. And you know that we are feeling as if the battle is just too much at the moment. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you don't say, pull yourself together and get on with it because you're a good Christian, but you say, I'm compassionate, I'm the shepherd, and I come to you, my lambs. And just, if you're standing, just sense the Lord putting his hand underneath you. Sense you putting his hand underneath you, lifting you, and putting you on his shoulders, or if you prefer, holding you in his arms. You can even, if you want him like he does with a child, to sit you on his shoulders. You can do that, whatever's comfortable for you, because he wants to knit so closely into you, so deeply into you now. Feel his heartbeat. Feel his heartbeat touching your heartbeat. Just sense that presence. It doesn't solve your problem. It doesn't solve the place you're wondering how you're ever going to get out of it, but it lifts you up. It gives you fresh hope. Now, Lord, pour healing onto these people. Just pour your healing onto them, Lord. Pour your healing right through them, Lord. Right through every part of the stress and the strain. Pour your healing, Jesus. Pour your healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
Okay, please take a seat. Um, there's one other thing I just wanted to pray for, and then I'm handing back to Jenny, or we can all pray for. I think some people who, who there's areas in your life where you really want to be restored, and you just feel that restoration is not fully coming. You feel there's something in your life that's been half, half healed, half sorted out, but you want to take hold of the, the belief that God can fully restore you. It might be what we were praying about just now. It might be something different. You just find it hard to believe God is fully going to restore you. Again, Ricky's talking about the fact that his life's not fully sorted out yet, and it's not. <laughs> but, there's, uh, but there's issues that God is restoring. It's for, the, for those of you who find it difficult to believe that God's going to fully restore you because, because, because it's difficult to believe. And I think it'd be good if you could just come forward and we're going to have some more worship and we could pray specifically for you guys. Yeah, yeah totally with you on that. I was thinking the same thing. If I could invite the band to come back and lead us in worship and as we're worshiping, as we're singing, do come forward for prayer. Allison's here, Nigel's here. And uh, other people can come forward to pray as well. Um, so if you want that prayer for restoration as we're worshipping God, do come forward. And, and I love the fact that God hasn't finished with us yet. He promises that what he's begun, he will bring to completion. And it is that ongoing journey. <laughs>